0: Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today, Brandon Williams begins a new series entitled, Indicator. In this series, Brandon shows us how the Bible can determine the condition of our heart. He explains how sin never just affects one person, but affects everyone. What areas of your life is Satan telling you that it's just not that big of a deal? Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Everybody good? Good, good. Looks like we had some casualties of the uh, daylight savings time. I think we should all join hands and pray that God would do away with daylight savings time. It's great in the fall, right, when you get an hour, but man, it stinks when you lose an hour. It's like, man, getting up um, an hour earlier this morning. Is so everybody awake? Everybody good? Everybody had enough coffee? You know, kinda, you know, you just got big eyes. You're ready to go. Um, it's going to be good today. And we are excited, too, about everything that's coming our way, man. April 17th, moving to the high school. It's going to be great. Um, big auditorium there. We're going to have more room to meet, reach more people for Jesus, which is what it's all about. So we're pumped about that. Also having food that day. Yeah, I know us old folks don't get as excited about that. But college students, man, they love food. And we're going to have some good food that day. So you'll be hearing more about that as well. Um, this whole process of moving to this new location, um, it, we're calling this Elevate, because what we truly want to do is we want to see everything in this church elevated. We want to see our, our serving opportunities elevated. We want to see um, um, just our worship elevated. We want to see our children's ministry elevated, so that we can impact more people for Christ. And, and we're going to give you plenty of opportunities to be a part of that. How many of y'all volunteer in any role at this church right now, any, any way, in any possible way, like you just say hey to people at the door, you, right, right? All right, put your hands down. You all just got fired. You have not been doing it. I'm just kidding. But you did. Seriously, you just got fired. Because we no longer have volunteers. This is what we're doing. We were thinking about that. And you know, sometimes when you hear somebody say, "Um, here's an opportunity to volunteer, it's almost like somebody saying, here's an opportunity to go to the dentist, Right? I mean, seriously, come on. If y'all are honest, y'all, y'all know. You're like, oh, God, here we go again. They need me to do something. No, listen, we believe this. We believe that if we read the scripture and we teach the Bible correctly, then it's not a need to volunteer. It is an opportunity for you to connect people to God and people to each other. And so what we're doing, we're doing away with the whole, even volunteer no longer is this. If you say volunteer in this church, you will get crucified. I'm just telling you straight up, we, we, we crucify people. Because we believe this. We believe God has called us to be connectors. We believe that, and, and we're gonna change the whole language. And I know it sounds like we're just doing like this Jedi mind trick. It's not what it's about. The, under, the thing that we want you to understand is that when you serve here, you have the opportunity to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. That's what we want you to, The value of this, this opportunity is incredible because you get to be a part of what God's doing. And so we no longer have volunteers. If you serve here, then you're a connector. You are connecting people to God and people to each other. So don't ever say volunteer again, seriously, or you'll have to repent and we'll flog you. And, and so, but we're, we're going to begin to look at giving you a lot of just incredible opportunities to serve and to be a part of what God's doing. Also, we're having a special offering. I know y'all get excited about offerings um, on April 3rd, but you really should because I realize that if we teach the word correctly, then we'll get excited about giving because we see the benefits of giving and what it does in our lives. And so here's the deal. April 3rd, at the end of the service, we're going to take up a special offering to help us make this transition. And, and so there's plenty of opportunity for everybody here. To, to sink their teeth into the vision that God's given us and to sink their teeth into what God's doing. So it's going to be awesome. Man, I'm so pumped about it. It's going to be incredible. We're going to be able to reach people for Christ. Listen, the Bible says that if we'll abide in him, we will be fruitful. It doesn't say you might or it could happen or possibly or maybe one day or occasionally. It says you will produce fruit. And I believe this with all my heart. If we'll remain faithful to Christ, if we'll abide in him, he'll continue to produce fruit through this ministry. And that's what we're going to do. So um, you have opportunities to be that, do that. Jeremiah chapter 17, going into a new series this week. I am pumped about this series too. I've been praying about this for a long time. I've, I've gone back and forth on the different messages to be a part of this. Still praying through some of them, but I'm really excited about this. Um, we're going to look at this thought of indicator because I believe the Bible is full of opportunities for God to give us an indication of the condition of our heart, right? If you're like me, you don't know anything about cars, And so the only way you know if you need um, to get your oil changed a lot of times is the light comes on. And then you look at the little sticker up there and it's like 3,000 miles past the time that you were supposed to get it done, right? Or or the only way you really know if you need washer fluid is when the light comes on. And so it indicates something that's underneath the hood that you didn't really think about or you would not have noticed. And we got to realize that the Bible and there's so many things in the Bible that indicate to us the condition of our heart. That indicate to us what's going on underneath the hood that otherwise we would have ignored. And don't you love the fact that God's willing to indicate to us what's wrong before it blows up, right? Before our life blows up, God's like, listen, I will give you some indicators to let you know that some things aren't right and you need to get them right. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Today we're going to talk about the importance of our heart. The importance of our heart. And and just kicking off this series and just why it's important that we pay attention to our heart. So um, I'm going to pray. Um, we're going to get to Jeremiah 17 in a minute and, uh, it's going to be good. Y'all ready? Oh man, I, I feel the excitement in the air. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's pray. God, um, just thank you for the opportunity we have to just be here to worship you, Lord. Um, just to have this time to get into your word, Lord, I pray that it would sink deep into our hearts, change our lives. God, I pray that you would just radically mess us up today for your glory. God, have your way here in Jesus name. Amen. How many of y'all have uh, like really crazy mornings? Anybody have crazy mornings? Yeah. I mean, if you got kids, you probably have crazy mornings or either you're just a way better parent than I am because it's always crazy at our house and our mornings go something like this. I'll wake up. And and you always go and make coffee first, right? I mean, because that's kind of like, it's in the Bible. It's the 11th commandment that you should make coffee before you do anything else. And so always go and make coffee and and you go and get it. And then my routine goes like this. I go and get my children. I start out with Dave because um, I get the heavy one first. He weighs like 90 pounds. So I'm trying to drag him in there and put him on the couch. And then I go get Jackson. He's a little bit lighter. I put him in the chair. And then somewhere around that time, they start realizing what's happening. And it all begins. <laughs> I don't want to go to school. And I'm like, we've been doing this for a few years now. How many times have you whined about it and not gone to school? But it never fails. Every morning, I don't want to go to school. And I'm like, boy, I will spank you. You, better, you just get dressed. You know, Put your shoes on. I do want to put my shoes on. Okay, go barefoot. Let's go. And the whole thing for us is, man, by the time I get to my truck, I'm just like, thank God. I have made it. And I get in my truck and I'm like, it's like this breath of just this sigh and then I'm able to take them and I look at the clock and see if I'm actually going to get them there on time, you know? and, and so here's the thing I don't do and I doubt you do this either, is that you don't go outside, put the kids in the car or get ready to go to school or get ready to go to work and before you crank your car you pop the hood and check all the fluids and belts. Anybody do that? You're weird if you do. I'm just going to be straight up honest. That is weird. <laughs> That, that is just straight weird. That, that nobody does that, right? We don't do that. Why? Because we know if there's something wrong, it, most likely our cars, our cars are smart now. I mean, they tell you how far you got until you run out of gas. And you know how far you can push it, don't you? Some of you have figured, you are so bold that you have figured out that you can get to zero and still drive a few more miles, right? And so you're not even worried about it until it's like zero, and, and so, I mean, I figured the other day I was on three. I had three miles left. And I was like, man, I'm, I, got, I could drive all day. You know, I'm good. And he finally go and get it. And it was $105 to fill up my truck. I almost had a heart attack. I had to call my brother-in-law at the bank and be like, hey, man, can I get along? Because it, it costs so much just to get gas in your car now. And so, you I mean, and, 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 but here's the thing we know, is that most likely our car is going to tell us if something's wrong. You know, the same's true with God. He tells us when something's wrong. But you know the problem with us is we often ignore it, don't we? We ignore it and we continue to go our own way. This series on Indicator is probably going to be the most challenging series you've ever heard here. In fact, today will probably be one of those days when there's not a lot of amens. Right? Everybody smile. Probably one of those days when you're not going to be like, yeah, I love you, but I love you. That's why I'm going to tell you the truth, okay? And listen, God has told me this all week and for about two weeks, actually, and I'm not going to let him kick my butt without me turning, I'm just kidding, I'm not, I'm not going like to just beat you up because he beat me up, but, but seriously, this is something that I feel like is going to be an incredibly challenging series, but it's also, I think, got the potential to be an incredibly life-changing series, if we'll allow it. And, and as we look at the heart, we need to realize what happens to you in your car when you ignore the empty little indicator that ha- that goes on your car. Like it comes up and it says, "Like you've got fifty miles still empty," and then you ignore it, and then it gets down to zero, and you continue to ignore it. What happens? It runs out of gas. I mean, that's like a tough question, right? It runs out of gas. It goes. You. It is empty. It's empty, and you end up walking you end up walking what happens if the oil light comes on and you don't do anything or the check check engine light goes on and you don't do anything about it eventually the car stops and what's funny is you can get away with it for a while but eventually it catches up to you and you know what's funny is that when those lights come on and you run out of gas or the engine locks up you know what's really 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 funny the car still looks the same on the outside doesn't it like, like, we've had a car in the parking lot at the church for like two weeks. And it looks like it'd run, but the problem is it don't work. I mean, it looks. I thought they were just trying to get a good parking place for 1045. I really did. I thought they just left their car here so they'd have a good spot next week. But the car doesn't work. But on the outside, it looks perfect. But how many times have we seen people whose lives look perfect on the outside until they explode, until there's a meltdown? And everybody stands back in amazement and goes, Wow. Never saw that coming, but you know who did see it coming? Them. Everybody knows somebody like that? Y'all know somebody like that? You know what's funny? Is when I say, y'all know somebody like that, everybody thinks about somebody else. But what if the person that's the most jacked up is you? Maybe the problem is the person that we see in the mirror every morning. Just a thought. And maybe before we start looking at other people, because it feels good when you can look at somebody else and their life is in shambles and yours looks good compared to theirs. Maybe before we look at somebody else, we ought to look at ourselves. i am mean, just saying that that would probably be the place I would think we should start. But it is so easy to look at other people and say, look at them, when the whole time we're screwed up. Listen, I'm going to tell you four lies that we believe about sin today. It's going to be awesome. Anytime the preacher says, We're going to talk about sin, everybody's like, Woohoo! We're going to talk about sin. We're going to look at it because this is what I believe. I believe if you take sin out of the gospel, then you have really neutered the gospel. Because without sin, there is no need for a redeemer, there is no need for a deliverer, there is no need for a savior. But the fact of the matter is, you and I have all sinned, and so there is a very desperate need. For a savior, somebody who can take our place. You realize that the cross, and I heard this somewhere, I'm gonna rip it off somebody that I don't remember who I'm ripping it off of, but I heard somebody say this, and it stuck with me forever, is that the cross of Christ is God's righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. God's righteous way of righteousness, the unrighteous. What that means is that God had to punish sin or he wouldn't have done the right thing so he would have no longer been righteous and God can't be unrighteous so that he had to figure out a way to punish sin so he sent his son who was perfect and didn't deserve punishment, took his wrath out on him so that you could become righteous. Isn't that awesome? The righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. That's incredible. I want to look at this. Four, four lies. Four lies that we believe about sin out of... Out of uh, where are we at? What, what, what verse I tell you? I'm tell i just kidding. Jeremiah 17. Verse 1. Listen to this first phrase It's so encouraging. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Doesn't that make you excited? Gets you fired up, doesn't it? No, listen, Jeremiah was a prophet to the tribe of Judah. He prophesied to them, telling them, listen, if you don't change your ways, it's going to go bad for you. If you don't change your ways, it's going to go bad for you. He was telling the children of God, change your ways now or bad things are going to come your way. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we will realize that left to ourselves, we become the most destructive force in our lives. We become the most destructive force in our lives. And he's telling them, listen, you've got to realize that you are in a bad place. And if you don't start doing something different, then bad things are going to happen. You are going to lead yourself into slavery. You're going to lead yourself into bondage. But you know what? This is the thing that we believe. This is the first lie we believe. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. We look at other people and their lives are all messed up. We look at ourselves and go, man, it's not that bad. It's, It's really, it's really not that bad. And we get real comfortable with our sin, don't we? We get real comfortable with it. We snuggle up to it like like it's a Snuggie. You know what I'm saying? We just put it on like it's going to keep me warm. I can still move my arms. And we like it. We love that. I had an uncle one time. Well, he's still alive. It's not like he's dead. So I still have an uncle. But he, we lived on a lake um, over in West Georgia for a while. And we had this nice dock um, that, that we could go out on. And my dad had this boat and my uncle um, was there. And, you know, when you get a lake house or a pool, you find out how many friends you really have that you didn't know you had. Like we'd get up some mornings and walk through the kitchen and there'd be somebody we didn't know eating a sandwich out of the refrigerator. We'd be like, who are you? I am just making me a sandwich, man. I came with so-and-so. Well, who is that? You know, so-and-so's aunt's uncle's brother's cousin. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you just find out you got a lot of friends you had no idea you had. And so we, we were in that place. We had a bunch of people at the house one Saturday. My uncle had had a beer of 14, and he was down there on the dock, and he decided that he wanted to take a nap. And so in his near comatose state, he lays down on the back of the boat with his feet in the water. And it was in this cul-de-sac so, or this cove up in the... Um, in the, in the lake and these people kept coming by skiing and with him laying on the back of the boat, the boat went down just enough that their wake, their waves they were creating was coming over into the back of the boat but he was so oblivious to what was happening because of the 14 or 20 beers he had drank that he was sitting there and the water was coming in the boat so much so that the boat started sinking and he's still asleep. We're oblivious to it too. We're just over there doing our own thing. Finally, we turn around and he's about to drink. He's like, and water's just coming up all around it. And the only thing that kept the boat from going completely underwater was the prop, the motor. It was down, and so it hit the ground, and it didn't go completely under. My dad comes down. He was, he was working late, uh, late late shift at that time. He comes down, and he's like, my boat! And we're like, what happened? He's like, "He's singing. He starts bailing the water out. We bailed the water out and finally got it where we could get it cleaned up and everything. But you know what I realized? So many times in life, sin does that to us. We get comfortable with it, and our lives are sinking, and we don't even realize it. It's destroying our lives, and we don't do anything about it until it's too late, until we are sunk, until we're at a place where we finally realize, you know what? It was a little worse than I thought. It was a little bit worse than I thought. You know what? Talking to my wife like that, it was a little worse than I thought it was. Talking to my children, you know what? It, it turned out worse than I thought. That, that pornography, little, little porn thing, you know what? It had a bigger effect than I thought it was. Flirting with the secretary, you know what? And, the, and, 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 and those little jokes and that little under the, under the table kind of humor, you know what? It had a little bit more effect than I thought it was going to have. Right? But, but it's not that bad. It's not that bad. We never think it's that bad until everything falls apart. You know, um, when we moved into our house, the house we still live in, this was before we had children. We had just gotten married. We moved in, and one thing that we noticed when we moved in that we did not check until after we were in the house was when we ran the water, it stunk. Like, it smelled like sulfur. I mean, it was horrible. Like, you should go to drink some water, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't even drink that. And so we called somebody, we're like, we bought this house, and man, something's wrong with the water, it sounds like it co- smells like it comes out of the septic tank, we don't know what's going on, can you come check it out? Well, they come and look, and there was something that was wrong with our well, our, the tank, and it was something, they said it was like a bladder or something, I don't know anything about wells, they said it was like a bl- it even sounds gross, doesn't it? It's like this bladder thing that was in there, it was causing our well to, to make the water smell bad, and you know the thing that we realized is it didn't matter which faucet we went to in the house, The water always stunk. You know what? If the source is contaminated, everything else is contaminated too. Listen to this. Listen to this. Proverbs 4. Listen to this. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Pretty common scripture. Listen to this. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, all the issues of your life come out of the heart. The issues of your life come out of the heart. Everything in your life flow out of the heart. So if your life stinks, guess what? It's a heart issue. What did Jesus say? Where did he tell us that, that, that sin and evil and greed and malice, all those things came from? The heart. He's like, listen, anything about what you put in your, in your mouth makes you, it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. But the lie we buy into is it's not that bad. It'll be all right. I can get away with this. It's really, really, really not that bad. I can make it. It'll be all right. The second bit of good news I want to tell you is this. That same verse says that Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool. It's inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Listen, the other way we believe that sin is just not that bad is that we don't realize there's nothing we can do about it. It has been written on our hearts with a flint stone tool. Something that was used to write on tablets of stone. When you write something in stone, what does that mean? It's permanent. It's permanent. It means it's not going anywhere. And what God's telling them is, listen, you have done this and it's permanent. It's permanent. You can't do anything about it. That's encouraging, isn't it? Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah right? No, that's not a good. Man, he says you can't do anything about it. Let me ask you this. What is the most intimidating part of getting a tattoo? Anybody? You want to help me out? And, and before, before we get into this, I would like to say that I would have a tattoo, but I prefer to be married, okay? I mean, that's all I'm saying. I would, I would have a tattoo, but I prefer to be married. And for the one who's here who's saying you ought to, be the, you ought to man up and get a tattoo anyway, well, listen, you're not married and you don't have a woman, so you have no... I'm, I'm just telling you, if you think that's how it works, you, you just don't know. And so I chose to stay married and not get the tattoo. And, and, but here's the thing, the most intimidating aspect of getting a tattoo is what? It don't go away. It's there. That's permanent ink, right? And some of y'all are in here and you're going, I don't know, man, I wish I could get rid of that thing. Because I loved that guy at one time, but now if I could get his name off my shoulder, I sure would do it. Or you're in this place where one, at one point when you were like 20-something, you got a tattoo that said Harley Davidson, now it just says Harley Right? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've seen those, right? I was talking about that with, with a buddy of mine the other day, and we were like, it's so funny, at the beach, you go and you see, and you're like, what does that say? It looks like it's a Russian word. It's just all consonants because all the vowels have been hidden somewhere. Or you see the person and it used to say rose and now it's like rose. And, and it changes over time. In fact, if you want to play a fun game, if you have a tattoo and you're you're like a young person, look at the tattoo and try to figure out what it's going to look like in 20 years. And that'll be fun. And take bets on it. And in twenty years be like, hey man, it don't look anything like what I thought it was gonna look like. Right? Because it's gonna change. I mean you can nip and tug and you can do it, but it's gonna change. That thing is gonna sag and it's gonna look different and some letters will be hidden. I'm just telling you. But it's permanent. It's permanent ink. And that's the thing that God is saying about our sin is it's permanent. It has been written on tablets of stone. It's not going anywhere. And the bad thing about it is it's so permanent you can't do anything about it. You can't erase it. It's not a dry erase board. You can just take the eraser and just wipe it off. It is there. It is on your heart. It is stuck. It's there. Let's move on to encouraging point number two. Verse number two says this. Even their children remember their altars and asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. Line number two is this. That it only affects me. My sin only affects me. Jeremiah is saying, listen, even your children remember that you worship idols. Even your children remember that you turned your back on God. Even your children know this. Even your children see this. And one of the biggest lies we buy into is that my sin affects nobody but myself. And you would think we've lived long enough to know better than that. But we still do it. We still believe it. And here's the tricky thing about sin. It drives us into a place of isolation so that we feel like we're all alone. And yet it still affects everybody around us. You ever notice that? You feel like you're by yourself. You feel like you've been separated from everybody. And yet somehow it still destroys people's lives all around you. Isn't that amazing? Think about Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah from back in Sunday school days? See, the thing we don't ever talk about with Jonah is this. Jonah was disobedient to God. We always talk about the miracle of the the big fish, right? One time I was in a Bible study. I said, well, and this lady flipped. I mean, she lost her mind. She flipped out. She was like, it was not a whale. It was a big fish. I'm like, but, but they told me it was a, it's a big fish. I'm like, well, excuse me, it's still a miracle. I mean, he got swallowed by a big fish. Right, and that's what we always hear about: is this big fish swallowing Jonah? Jonah going and pre- preaching to the Ninevites and uh, the people of Nineveh, and, and then and then you know this miracle of all these people coming to Christ or coming to God and repenting of their sin and all these things that are so awesome. And we hear about it, and it's really really good and it's really awesome. But the thing we don't ever think about is you know what? When Jonah was disobedient, who else did it affect? Y'all remember when he got on the boat and it went crazy? It went crazy because of Jonah's sin. <laughs> They're all praying to their gods. They're trying to figure out what in the world's going on. They cast lots to figure out, and it fell on Jonah, and Jonah's down there taking a nap. You ever notice that? How people who are the, the, the ones to blame are usually the ones that are the least engaged? You ever notice that? Like it, it, don't, it don't really bother them. They're down there. like They had a bottle of Ambien taking a nap, and then they're just down there, and, and everybody else is freaking out. And they finally figure out this is this guy's fault, and they wake him up. They're like, dude, what's going on? He's like, I was disobedient to God. Like, well, he's like, throw me overboard. He throws him overboard, big fish comes by, swallows him up. But you know what? It cost them all of their gear, and they nearly died. Everything that they had on the boat went overboard, and they nearly died because of Jonah's sin. Our sin may force us into isolation in the belly of a whale, but it has collateral damage to everybody else that's around us. Listen, adultery doesn't just affect the person that does the adultery. It affects everybody. Pornography, it doesn't just affect the person who's addicted. It affects everybody. Gossip doesn't just affect the gossip. It affects everybody. In fact, the Bible says that our tongues are set on fire from hell and are destructive, so destructive. Listen, that it causes collateral damage. You run in your mouth talking about people, especially people in the church, It destroys. It destroys the body of Christ. You take the trust out of the church, which is what has happened, and that's why the body of Christ is struggling. The way it is is because we don't trust anybody, and we don't trust God, and so it takes the trust out of church because we can't go to anybody because we know they're going to spread our business all over the place, and so it becomes destructive. How about anger? Anybody get mad? Yeah. Some of these questions are rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you want to. But seriously... Seriously, it doesn't just affect us. It affects everybody to think that our sin doesn't affect our children. Mom and dad, listen, if your child wakes up every morning wondering if one or the other is going to be gone, it is not fostering a house of security. I mean, seriously, come on. It affects everybody. And we can't buy into this lie that my sin only affects me. Because it does it. It affects everybody involved. Listen to this. Quiet. <laughs> Verse 3. My mountain and the land and your wealth and all your treasures I'll give away as plunder. Together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. Listen to that. I'll give away as plunder together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. He you said, I'm going to give away your inheritance. I'm going to give away everything that you got. The third lie is this. It won't cost me anything. It won't cost me anything. How many times have we gotten involved with something and we're like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I can, I can get away with this. I, I can make it. It won't cost me that much. I'm willing to pay the price it's going to cost me. Have you ever noticed it always costs you more than you thought it would? It always demands a higher price than you thought it was going to take from you. Like, think about this. When you saved up enough money to finally get your first car, you remember that day? You remember that? And then you had this startling realization that it only runs if you put gas in it. Right? Because you, you like, got everything you could to pay for the car, and then you're like, oh, dang, I got to put gas. Oh! It costs you more than you thought. Or, oh, you mean I got to have insurance? I gotta have engine. It costs you more than you thought. Anybody ever own a boat? Oh my gosh. You you spend every penny to try to finance the boat, and then the next thing you can't take it out of the garage. I can't afford to put gas in it. I had a buddy of mine, he got his first truck. He's riding down the road. He's riding down just, just minding his own business. He slowed down a little bit. His tire passed him. His tire passed him. He's like. You got to fix that. You know what I'm saying? You can't ride around on three tires. You got to fix. It cost him more than he thought. When he bought that truck, he did not think, I'm going to have to fix this tire because one day it's going to roll off. It just completely passed me on the road. He didn't think that. Sin always costs us more than we can afford. It always costs us more than we think it's going to cost us. It brings us to a place where we can't pay the bill. It costs us more than we can pay. But we buy into this lie that it's not going to cost me anything. Or if it does, I'm willing to pay the price to get what it is. But the lie of sin is that we get into it, and all of a sudden, it's cost us more than what we could afford, more than what we could possibly pay. When, when um, we first got married and we didn't have any children, um, Susan and I, and we were in, in the same house we're in now, uh, we, we uh, used to take naps. And I say used to on Sunday afternoon. We'd t- always take a nap because then we had kids. And those, just to let you know, like, that don't happen after you have children. If it does, it's like you finally doze off, and they're like, "Wow?" and you're like, oh, my gosh. You got like a 10-minute nap, and you just, that makes you just ornery, right? And so we used to take naps. Well, one Saturday, um, I'm out burning some, some leaves and pine straw in the back of our yard, and, and we, it was a beautiful day just hanging out out there. We were going to grill out afterwards, and, and it was just one of those days, man, you're just like taking it all, and you're like, this is awesome. And, and we, so we light the pine straw. We get it burning, cleaning up the yard. The yards look good, and I uh, go down there. I spray it off. I put it out, rake it up a little bit, spray it off again, put it out, and it, it's out up there. I'm, I'm grilling like a steak or something. And it was awesome. And um, so we go in, we go to bed next morning, get up, go to church. We, we go to church, we go eat a big lunch. And you know how when you eat a big lunch after church on Sunday, what do you mean? You got to have a nap, right? And so we go home and we get on the couch and we go to sleep. And all of a sudden I hear I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, who is waking me up from my nap? And first I was like, man, that might be a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not going to the door. I might be a Jehovah's Witness. I, I'm going to take my nap. And then I was like, no, I better go to the door and see who it is. And so I go to the door and I open the door. And it was a guy that lives down the street. And he said, son, I don't know if you know this or not, but your backyard's on fire. Backyards and I turn around and I look out the French doors in the back of our house and flames were going up our pine trees. I mean, the whole place was on fire. And so I had on a pair of shorts and a white T-shirt. I said, Susan, give me some shoes. And so I go running out the door and I start putting hose pipe together, running across the backyard and, and go fight the fire. And she comes running out and hands me a pair of bedroom slippers. I said, Susan, what part of this whole equation made you think it was a good idea to get bedroom slippers? and so I'm still, I put them on I jump the fence first thing that happens a coal goes down in my shoe I'm hobbling along I look up my neighbor comes by he's got a hose we finally get up there we're fighting and we get it put out and then the next thing that happens is we hear whoo, 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 the firemen get there and I'm like Pfft. where were you like 20 minutes ago I mean you know, and, and they get there and, and they're like you got a permit for this I'm like <laughs> people really get those I, I, I did and, and they were nice to me. They let me, let me go on that, but we got it put out. But you know what's crazy? What would have been really stupid is if when I looked out the back door of my house and my yard was on fire, if I went and I laid down and said, uh, it'll be all right. It's not going to cost me anything. It'll be okay. I mean, I'm sure yeah, it probably burned down the shed, but come on, man, we need a new one anyway. You know, we got insurance, right? How stupid would that have been? But how many times in our lives are are, are our lives on fire, set on fire by sin, set on fire by stupid decisions, set on fire by stupid choices, and we just look at it and go, oh, well, it won't cost me that much. And we just keep on going. Listen to me. It will always cost you more than you think. It will always cost you more than you can afford. It will always cost you more than you can afford. But we don't realize it. We don't even acknowledge the fire. Listen to verse 4. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know. For you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. Listen to that. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies. The fourth lie is this. My sin is someone else's fault. My sin is someone else's fault. Have ever noticed how people like to blame other people? That's like our favorite pastime we did it. I did it the other day. I'm just going to be straight line. I did it the other day. We were going to a conference in Anderson and I was the lead car. I was driving my truck. I had two vehicles behind me. We got to Augusta. They had no clue where we were going. We pulled into a gas station on the way coming out of the gas station. My mind went somewhere. I don't know where it went and I came out of the gas station, floored it, took off. I get a call on the other side of Augusta They're like, man, where are you? I'm like, What do you mean? Where am I? I'm on the other side of Augusta. And they're like, well, we, we passed the exit. We didn't know where to go. And I was like, have y'all got a GPS? And they're like, yeah. I said, well, we'll just see you there. I'm like, we'll just see you there. But I totally ran off and left them. We get up there. We finally get there. We get there about 20, 30 minutes ahead of them. I called uh, Greg Mans. I was like, hey, man, where are y'all? He's like, we're 15 miles out. I'm like, okay, we'll see you in a minute. Like 20 minutes later, I call him back. I'm like, Greg, where are y'all? He's like, oh, we're on the way. I'm like, man, what's taking so long? And he's like, you know this whole situation was easily avoidable. I was like, what? He said, this whole situation was really easily avoidable. I was like, what are you saying? He's like, well, you didn't have to leave us at the gas station. I was like, man, have you ever wanted to reach your hand through a phone and grab somebody by the throat? That's what I was feeling at that moment. I love Greg to death. But I I, I, I would have reached through and grabbed the jugular vein. I really would have. But... But I was so upset, and it just got my blood flowing, man. I was just like, ugh, you know, my, I was just angry. And so then we go, and we meet him at Logan's Roadhouse. And, and I walk in, and Sean Fox is there, whose GPS, by the way, is the worst GPS in the history of the world. Um, and we need to take up an offering after this to buy him a new GPS. But I walk in, and because I don't want to shoulder the blame, I walk in and go, dude, get a new GPS. That's all I'm saying, get a new GPS. Why? Because it made me feel like I could shift the responsibility. And our whole staff sitting here right now laughing because they know that's true. It's exactly how it happened. I was like, get a new one. Why? Because I didn't want to put the blame on myself. But you know what I've realized and I've had to come to terms with? Everything that goes wrong in this church, in some way, is my fault. I realize that. If you're not fighting over yourselves to serve here, it's my fault because I haven't taught you what the Bible teaches about serving because when you realize how blessed you are to serve the other day i was able to go over at nine o'clock and serve in the children's building and i, I did the games with them and then i got to, to preach to them and i don't know there was one kid there that, that was smarter than me like anymore but I, it was amazing how much bible this kid knew and so he and i kind of got into that big fish whale well thing i did to him what that old lady did to me he was like he got swallowed by a big whale I was like, uh-uh, but it was a fish it was a fish and so, so we kind of had this little duke. But I got to go over there, and I, I played games with them. And then I taught them. Like I'd say, who's your Bible, favorite Bible character? They'd tell me. I'd say, man, this is what's cool about that guy. And we'd go through it all. It was awesome. At 1045, I sat in the service. At 1245, I went back there. I ran the media. I didn't know how much stuff they do back there. I, didn't, I had no clue. I mean, I trust them. I just let them do it. I came back there, and John's like, click that. I was so afraid I was going to mess up the words, too. I was like, I'm going to mess this up. Everybody's going to be like, what the, you know, what's going on? But you know what it did for me? It made me love this church so much more. Because I realize what people are doing every Sunday to make this happen. I realize what people are doing every Sunday so that people can come to know Christ. It made me love it even more. And that's one of the things we're missing if we're not taking the opportunity to serve. We're missing that incredible blessing. So I realize if people aren't fighting over themselves to serve, it's my fault. I realize that people aren't trying to beat each other up to get to the offering plate. It's my fault. Because I haven't taught you the blessings of being a giver. I haven't taught you about the, 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 the way that if you give, God gives back. He blesses those who are givers. I haven't taught you about how it, that when we tithe, it cuts those strings from our heart to our wallet. Anybody in here where every time you pull your wallet out, you do like this? Because that string runs from your heart around to your wallet? So you do like this every time we need to cut that thing, man We need to cut it And I realize if people don't see it that way, then I haven't done my job But at some point we've got to own our responsibility And I want you to hear this because I know there are people in here who've had some terrible things done to them I want you to understand something God is not the source of your pain. He's the source of your healing You need to understand that God is not the source of your pain. He is the source of your healing God is the source of your healing. He can heal anything. He can heal a wounded heart. He can mend a broken heart. That's why Jesus came was to preach the word of God and bring people to a place where they could be set free from the things that have held them down. That's what he wants to do for us. But We've got to take ownership and realize that it's my fault. So here we go. little, little quick catch up. It's not my fault. That's, or it's, not, it's not that bad. That's the first one. Second one is this, it only affects me. The third one is it won't cost me anything. And the fourth one, my sin is someone else's fault, but nobody makes us turn our back on God. It's our decision. Woo! Verse 5. This is what the Lord says. God's still speaking here through Jeremiah. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. In a salt land where no one lives. You know what? Basically what God's telling us there is it doesn't matter how big or strong you are. You turn away from Him, you're going to end up like a bush in a wasteland. Dried up and withered. Some of us have been there. Some of us are there right now. Some of us realize that that verse is so true. Because we've walked away from God or we've either never known God. And because of that, we're dry and we're withered. You know what this says? It says it says in here that cursed is the one who trusts in man. That word one, it should be translated man. It should say cursed is the man who trusts in man. And the word that's translated there for man actually means um, a champion, a warrior, a mighty man. What's God telling us? He's saying, listen, even the most mighty person, the strongest, the most valiant, the bravest. If you trust in man, you are going to wither. You're not going to make it. That's what he's telling us. But listen to the opposite of that. Verse 7 says this, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Listen to this, man, this is awesome. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Never fails to bear fruit. On the flip side, God says, but if you'll trust in me, then you're going to be like an evergreen. You're going to produce fruit every season. The Bible doesn't tell us that if we'll trust in Jesus, we might produce fruit. It says we will produce fruit. And what he's telling us is if we'll abide in him, trust in him, put our confidence in him, then we're not even going to have to fear the drought. But if we don't, the Bible says we can't even recognize good things when they come. And then Jeremiah goes on and listen to his conclusion. Because this is is Jeremiah speaking now. This is what he says. After after those two uh, different points of view. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I believe this is what Jeremiah is doing. He is making this this, um, observation after these two points that God has told us. That one, behind door number one. You can be a bush in a wasteland. Or behind door number two, you can be like a tree planted by rivers of living water that produces fruit in its season, that never even has to fear the drought, that never has to fear the heat, because I know that my source is never going to run out. And I believe Jeremiah looks at that and he goes, The only possibility for us to know that what's behind door number one and door number two is that our hearts are deceived. It's the only possibility. For us to choose door number one, we are foolish. And that's what he's telling us. Y'all remember that, that show that used to come on, um, Let's Make a Deal? Y'all remember that? Is it still on? Man, they should have killed that a long time ago. That was about the dumbest show I've ever seen. If you like, if you like it, I'm sorry, but that's a dumb show. Y'all remember they would get up there and, and the guy would be be up there and he'd be like, You want what's behind door number one or door number two? And they'd open up like door number two and it'd be like a donkey. Y'all remember that? And it'd be like, you know, and, and everybody's like, oh man. And or sometimes somebody'd open up door number one and it'd be like a car or something, and they'd be all happy. You remember that? How how like how how anticlimactic? That's a big word for me, right? how how, how anticlimactic would it be if they didn't have a curtain? You know what I'm saying? It's like you see the donkey or you see the car. And they're like, would you rather have um, what's in stall number one or stall number two? And what if somebody says, well, I'd like to have the donkey. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't want the new car. No, I, 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 I like the donkey. What would we call them? An idiot. But when we do the same thing with God, we don't see it that way. What will we, should we call ourselves? An idiot. If we choose door number one over door number two. I mean, how, how can we want what's behind door number one when God says you can have this? Nobody in their right mind would choose door number one when they have the option for door number two. Listen to verse 10 because this is like, this is, man, this is, this is good. I, the Lord, searched the heart and examined the mind to reward a man according to his conduct according to what his deeds deserve. Does that scare anybody? That kind of freaks me out a little bit. Because how many of y'all really want what you deserve? Anybody? I don't. I don't want what I do. I know the thoughts of my heart. I know the things I have done. I know the things that go through my mind. I don't want what my deeds deserve. And I want to show you just real quick today what our deeds deserve actually deserve. Look in the gospel of John. John chapter 19. Because if God rewards us according to what our deeds deserve, this is what we should get. John 19 verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. And we know that after this, he took him and they crucified him. That's what we deserve. That is what we deserve. Listen to this. We read this differently though. We read it. It says, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Blah, 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 blah. Y'all know what flogged is? That means he got the crap beat out of him. I'm just going to straight up tell you, he got messed up. He had the skin beaten off of his back. Anybody want to sign up for that field trip? I don't want to go to that one. How about this? They, they come and they put a crown of thorns on his head. Y'all ever got a briar in your finger? You, act, you will act like the biggest sissy just because a briar. It's like a paper cut. You're like, oh! Or one little bro- they pushed a crown of thorns on his head, and then they humiliated him even further by putting, taking off his clothes, putting on a purple robe, and teasing him by saying, "Hell, king of the Jews." They publicly humiliated him. Anybody like to be publicly humiliated? That don't feel good, does it? It stinks. When you get humiliated in front of a bunch of people, it don't feel good. And listen this it, it says, and they struck him in the face. They repeatedly punched him in the face. They punched God in the face. How many of you think there's going to be a bad day coming for them one day? There is a day coming when I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be around them. Because they punched God in the face. But do you know what our sin did to God? It punched Him in the face. It punched Him right square in the mouth. And it's not that big a deal? Really? We really want to stand in front of God, the, whole, and, and, and the Holy of, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and look at him and go, God, it really wasn't that big a deal. I know I punched your son in the mouth. You know what's going to happen if you punch my son in the mouth? It's going to be bad. Because I might not be that big and that tough, but I got a baseball bat. Right? It's going to be bad. And you know the same thing. Do you really want to stand in front of a God that you have punched his son in the face? I don't. I don't. Do you know what? According to this, it's exactly what we deserve. Make it a little worse. Jesus, when he's dying on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The thing we need to understand about that moment is the first thing we've got to see is that Jesus was struggling because of the humanity or the sin of humanity that was placed on his shoulders at that moment. Next thing we need to understand is this, that at that moment, he could fully understand our condition. Isn't it awesome to serve a God that's not up there wondering, well, I wonder what they feel like. When when somebody walks out of your life and tears your heart apart, that they're not wondering, uh, he's not up there wondering, I wonder what that feels like. When your child goes out and does something stupid and it breaks your heart, he's not up there going, I wonder how that feels. When it seems like your whole life's been, been gone down the tubes and, and it's just washed away. Isn't it cool to know that you have a high priest who's not unable to sympathize with your weaknesses. But has in every way been tempted as you are yet was without sin. He's walked in your shoes. He knows what you feel. And he is the one who can heal your heart. Isn't that awesome? And think about this. Isn't it, isn't it awesome too to realize that at that moment Jesus was separated from the Father for the first time and the only time. Ever. That's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. Because if God took his grace off of our life right now, we would cease to exist. We think about grace just being forgiveness, man. Grace is the only thing that supports us right now. Do we really, really, really want that? Because that's what the Bible says we deserve. I don't, I don't particularly care for that myself. My next question is this. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Because here's the thing that I realize. The Bible says it's permanent. The Bible says our heart, the very core of our being, is messed up beyond repair he says who can understand it who can cure it the core of our being is messed up and therefore the only result possible is that the outflow of our life stinks just like water coming from a contaminated well so what do we do what do we do there's a man named Saul in the book of Acts and this man named Saul um Man, he was something else, man. He thought he was really living for God. But you know what? He was so against God's church that he would even kill Christians. The Bible says he was a murderer. That He killed people. And he thought he was doing it in the name of God. Does that sound familiar? But he thought he was doing it for God. And he killed people. He, by his own admittance, is the chief of all sinners. But you know what he did? One day he's on this, on, this, on this horse going to this place called Damascus and Jesus reveals himself to him. This blinding light hits him. He falls off his horse and this man who had been the chief enemy of Jesus now becomes one of his chief um, uh, servants. He now becomes one of his chief servants to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. From being a murderer of God's people to going and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had such a life-changing experience that his name even changed. And we know him as Paul, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. A murderer, the sinner of sinners. And he ended up writing most of the Bible. Isn't that awesome? Because you know what happens? When we meet Jesus... The Bible says that he gives us a new heart. You know that one that's all jacked up and stinky and and nothing good flows from it? You know the awesome thing about Jesus is the Bible says in Ezekiel 36, hundreds of years before Jesus even came onto the scene, that God was going to give us a new heart and a new spirit, one that would be bent towards him and not towards sin. God didn't give up on us. Isn't that awesome? God didn't quit even though we were ruined. Through Jesus, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. A new one, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he's in Christ's new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. A new creation that Jesus gives us in the midst of our despair and depravity. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. Give me the one that's been stained. I'm going to give you one that's right. That's incredible. So what do we do? What is our option considering our circumstances? The only option we have is to cry out to Jesus. There is no plan B. It is Jesus. Because remember, the cross was God's righteous way of righteousing the unrighteous. So that through Christ we can be given new life. We can be given a new spirit. We can become overcomers who aren't in bondage to sin, but are people who carry around the keys to heaven to offer other people freedom in Christ. We don't have to be a slave of sin. Jesus overcame sin. When he stepped out of the tomb on the third, he comes out, he is risen. The power of God, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ brings him out. You know, that's the same power we have. That is the same power that if you are a Christian lives inside of you. God has given you a new heart. No longer put yourself under the the slavery of sin. No longer come to a place where you allow sin to be your master. You were created to overcome. Jesus died to give you a new heart. Put a new spirit in you. So you can live the life that he calls you to live. You know there's a. Section of Scripture in Matthew 21 9. Jesus is coming in Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal intro. We usually talk about it on Palm Sunday, leading into Holy Week. And Jesus is riding in on this little donkey, right? And the people begin to take off their coats. And they begin to lay them on the road. And it says that the people that didn't lay their coats down go over and they begin to cut branches out of trees. And they begin to lay them down on the road. And as they lay them down, Jesus is coming in. See, what we got to understand is that was what people did for kings when they came into a town. What these people were saying is publicly they were saying, publicly they were saying, this is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to deliver us. And it wasn't just a worship song that they sang. It was a a cry. They were saying, God, deliver us. And you remember the word they were saying? Hosanna. Hosanna. Means save us now. Save us now. And they were looking at Jesus and they were going, save us now. Save us, Jesus. Save us now. As he rode into Jerusalem. You know the only cry we can have? Save us now. Jesus, save me now. Save me now. Give me a new heart. Make me clean. Make me whole. Take my broken heart and put it back together. That's the only cry that we have. That's the only possibility for us is that we come to a place where our life screams Hosanna. Not just with our lips, but with every aspect of our life. We realize that we owe it to a God who was willing to become unrighteousness so that we could become the righteousness of God. Hosanna. And that's what it's about. That's the only cry we got. That's the only thing we can do. Is cry out to a loving God who wants to save us. Let's pray.